I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You're listening to the Room 104 podcast with Cormac Moore and Sir Shalong. FM 104. Hey, it's Room 104. It's Cormac and Sir here. Now, how do you go from having your kind of first college entry-level job to in a couple of years making a huge amount of money, enough money in your job, you know, trading stocks that you can pretty much retire and then take things up another notch to where you wind up selling ecstasy and then get involved with New Mexican mafia cartels to winding up in prison. Well, one man has had that life. It's it's a crazy story and you would never believe some of the things that have happened have happened. But he joins us now to talk about his story of I don't know, rags to riches. Maybe it's back to rags again who knows but sean atwood sir thanks a million for popping on hey thanks for having me on guys i am delighted for this opportunity yeah we're very very intrigued uh you've had an interesting and amazing life so far can you just take us back to where it all kind of started i guess yeah if you've ever been to the northwest of england i'm from a little town called witness a chemical manufacturing town so i didn't grow up with much money but i got interested in the stock market at a young age So at 14, I chose economics and there was only about six of us in my high school. And the teacher, Mr. Dillon, saw I had an aptitude for it. So he started to give me classes on my own. And then I set this goal. I'm going to go to America and make a million by the age of 30. I'd watched that movie Wall Street. So I thought the meaning of life was making money. On that path, because I know you you got a job working in in the stock market. So did you leave up and leave the UK and head over to the States and start the career there? Yes. After doing business studies at Liverpool University, I moved to Phoenix, Arizona in 1991. I had two aunts out there, actually, and they really helped me establish myself there. And I got a job as a stockbroker. And then you obviously made a lot of money very quickly. Well, no. In the first couple of years, I was living off cheese on toast and bananas. <laughs> I fell into the hands of a penny stock brokerage. And if you've seen that movie, Wolf of Wall Street, Mm. it was literally, you had to have a mirror on your desk, smiling brokers make the most money. We had like 24 foot curly cords, pacing brokers make the most money. We had these like military style sales meetings at six in the morning with these drill instructor, Italian mafia um, (laughs) looking types. And they were just yelling at us, you are only as big as these numbers on this board for the month. Lunches for wimps. When you take a lunch, other brokers are calling your clients. It was just like Wolf of Wall Street. And I was thrown into this straight out of uni, broke just not in cocaine and crystal meth off the desktops. They were going out, you know, striptease dancers were coming in limos. So I'm thinking, 
is this how adults behave in the business world? <laughs> yeah, and that was just getting started. <laughs> well, so, so, so the first two years, I'm living off my student credit cards. It was commission only. But five years in, I'm the top guy in the office, grossing half a million a year. At this point, I've got my own office, secretary, call callers. But I'm sick of coming in at six in the morning and you know working hard all day long. So I abandon my slow and steady progress, quit being a stockbroker, and start to invest money into the rave scene. And that was a very fateful decision that led to me spending six years inside America's toughest jails. So, yeah, then the transition across, you started, because I know you mentioned in other interviews you've done that you invested a bit of money in the stock market as well, and, and you were pretty much financially free or financially independent and could have retired by the time you were before 30. But then what was the decision to do that and then move into... My best mate from childhood, Wildman, he came over to America and we started throwing house parties out of his apartment in Tempe, Arizona. And this was an eclectic mix of people from gang members to Native American transvestite sex workers to Italian mafia, Russian mafia. And this is where I met a lot of characters that led to the criminal connections that ended up forming the ecstasy enterprise. If you are going to go down that road, you've got to have protection. And I ended up getting introduced to the New Mexico Mafia by a guy called G-Dog who had attended one of these parties. So we were all chilling out, listening to some rave music. People were smoking weed. And this guy shows up, ruggedly handsome, Mexican-American guy, darker. He's got prison tattoos. He's got some chains on. And he's providing the weed and the coke. I'm providing the ecstasy. So we started to talk to each other. A cop walks in. He says, I could smell weed from outside. Nobody move. And he goes to grab his radio like he's going to call in and have us all arrested. So we all run off into the night. Now, I've never seen anything this heavy before. So I'm terrified. In this apartment complex, Rancho Marietta, there are multiple apartments of people that we know or we're working with. So we go and hide in one of those. It's owned by a guy called Fish. So Fish was terrified. He's like, the cops are going to come. We need to flush all our drugs. We're all going to jail. And the next thing we hear, bam, 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 on the French window. We open it and it's G-Dog. He's like, let me in, let me in. So we let him in and he schooled us. He's like, turn off the lights, turn off the TV. Nobody make a sound. If they knock on the door, don't answer. They couldn't have got a warrant that fast. They don't, too many people ran into the night. They don't know where we've all gone. So we sat there, the cops knocked. We were shitting ourselves. They went next door. They carried on. At the end of the night, I said to G-Dog, look, I've got a property in Phoenix. You're too hot in this area. Let's go over there. I took him over there. And at the end of the night, he said, Sean, for protecting me, me and my brothers have got your back. I had no idea what that meant. A few months later, he says, one of my brothers wants to meet you. We go over to this house in Tempe. They've got all those low rider showcase cars on the road outside so i go into the living room and there's all these massive mexican american guys with equally mean faces and i'm looking around the room they've got weighing scales like slabs of coke crystal meth weapons but i do a double take when i see the tv it's the biggest tv i've ever seen in my life i thought hold on a minute that's not an ornament on top of the tv i've seen one of them before they had a rocket propelled grenade launcher on top of the tv and that's how i ended up getting protected 
by the New Mexican Mafia and I had no idea who they were until the night they all got arrested, which was about two years later. People on the street guiding traffic with light ones like you see people land airplanes with. We pull up to the house and a federal SWAT team is bringing all those guys out I'd been doing business with for a couple of years in handcuffs and they were headline news that night the most powerful dangerous criminal organization in arizona at that time they've been assassinating witnesses tried to assassinate cops judges that even tried to assassinate the head of the arizona department of corrections the prison system did you ever take a step back and go how am i in this what's weird is i've got anxiety and i'm a shy person so i started to take ecstasy when the rave scene began in the uk and I went to the extreme opposite of becoming this complete party animal, completely scrambled my decision-making processes. And I surrounded myself with equally crazy people who were all reinforcing each other's insane behavior. There was no one to put the brakes on. And we were joking. We're like characters in a movie, like, you know, Pulp Fiction or something. We're above the law. We're never going to get caught. But we were gravely mistaken. And once that cloud lifted out of my head after the SWAT team came, the cloud of drugs of over 10 years of use. And I look back on my life. I was like, how on earth are you still alive? And just to balance that out, I don't want to glamorize this because I work in drugs education now. Before the pandemic, I was doing over 100 talks a year across the country to schools. And I go in and scare the living daylights out of school kids with what happened to me in the jail in the hope they won't get involved in drugs and crime. Backtrack a little bit before we talk about, you know, when it all came crashing down. At your peak, how big, how much drugs were you dealing like? So my competitor at the peak was Sammy the Bull Gravano, the underboss of the Gambino crime family, who'd murdered almost two dozen people. One newspaper reported that he was a flash in the pan because he'd only been doing it for a year or so. I've been doing it since 97, SWAT team came, 2002. But I'd, I'd quit the importation a year before. So I've been doing it about four years. And the cop said it was a multi-million dollar international drug trafficking ring. Yeah, you know, I had about 200 people working for me. I had a million dollar house on the side of a mountain and properties all over the place, cars all over the place. I'd fly people from the UK, put properties and cars in their names so that if the cops ever came, it would be untraceable. And I think at the peak of it, uh, my bills were about thirty to $40,000 a month. And then it all did come crashing down. These things never end well. If you've watched <laughs> Casino or Goodfellas or Scarface or any movie that has involved drug trafficking and gangsters, and I'm not a gangster, I was a nerd who had gangsteritis, but it never ends well. So what happened was I'd met a woman, fallen in love. She said, look, this is so dangerous. If you love me, you would stop. And I did. I stopped a year before the SWAT team came. I thought I got away with it. So May 16th, 2002, I'm in my apartment in Scottsdale um, with my girlfriend. And I'm back to like trading in the stock market. I'm doing a Spanish class at the local community college. I think I'm going to live happily ever after. I get up, I'm on my computer. And then bam, 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 bam. Open the door. I'm thinking right, is this really the cops? Or is it someone pretending to be the cops? Come to rob me. So I run to the window. The whole complex is completely surrounded. There's boots thudding up the stairs outside. 10 Police Department, we have a warrant. Open the door. I run through to the bedroom to my girlfriend. We're looking at each other like, what should we do? All right, better let them in. Get halfway through the living room and then just boom! Door just flies off the hinges. And then you see him come in and it's like, Everything slows down. It's probably just seconds. And the detective, who I later learned from the police reports, was my nemesis, hmm. said, 
English, Sean. You're a big name from the rave scene. We finally got you. And that was that. But, but what, what led to, to them getting a warrant on you? Like how did they find out a year, let's say, after you'd stopped doing it, that you were the, the person they were after? Or... Oh, they'd been following me from the very beginning. Ten witnesses had come forward and given them information about the operation. And they tried to infiltrate us with undercover cops. But we saw them coming a mile away. They'd be older people from out of state saying, yeah, you know, we need a thousand pills or something. So what I'd done was... In the very beginning of the rave scene in Arizona, there were lots of different competing cliques. And Wildman and myself would mediate the disputes between the cliques. And then we would incorporate those cliques into our enterprise. So we had all the locals working with us. So anything that was going on at the ground level, like strangers trying to infiltrate the scene, that would be reported to me immediately. So that's why the cops said in the petition to get the wiretap, you know, we've tried all conventional methods, so we, we need to get a wiretap. It's the only way we're going to get these people. And then you spent how long in jail itself? Okay, so I was facing a maximum 200-year sentence. I fought the case for 26 months. Serious drug offender status was filed on me right away, which carries 25 to life. I had 10 charges. And then because I wouldn't sign a plea bargain and I, I tried to get my bail reduced, I had a hearing about a year or so in, and my bail got doubled to $1.5 million. My charges got doubled uh, to 20 plus, each carrying 10 year maximum, which made it 200 years if I went to trial. And I got moved to the maximum security Madison Street jail, which was infested with cockroaches. Um, so my first 26 months, I'm unsentenced on remand. Then the balance of the six, I'm in the Arizona Department of Corrections. But throughout the system, it's all completely gang controlled. I did all right for the first 26 months. I never got attacked while I was in that jail, but I did get attacked later on. Yeah, was it a bad beating? What happened was I got moved to a prison where I didn't know anybody. And my cellmate that they put me in with, the guards decided to play a prank. And the guy they put me in with was a serial home invader, torturer. So he was an old con who wanted another con in with him, not a fresh fish. A fresh fish is someone new to the prison. So as soon as I arrive, he's like, I've got a padlock in a sock. I can smash your brains in while you sleep. I can kill you whenever I want. He didn't like me from the get-go. Now, he got his mate, this um, biker gang member, to attack me just when my parents had flown 5,000 miles to visit me for Christmas. So I have no idea this has been planned. The two things you look forward to the most in prison are your visits and your mail. I'm walking to the visitation area, happy as can be. Big guy sneaks up behind me, bam, 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 starts kidney punching. All the prisoners stop to see my reaction because the gang rule is, you must hit back if anyone hits you. Otherwise, the whole gang will attack you on the spot. So I start throwing some kicks and punches. It was like hitting a big bag of cement. Plus, this guy was trained in kickboxing. So he smashed me up, knocked me down. I end up going to the visit all injured. Mum asks me what's wrong, and I can't say because she's already had a nervous breakdown of my situation. So two things happen when you go in. They do a charge check, and they do a heart check. And if you don't throw punches, you're considered a weakie. Absolutely grim. But, but, but while you were in there, because I know you, you mentioned, obviously, now you're out the other side of it, and you've looked back kind of going, right, maybe that wasn't the best uh, life decisions that I ever made. What are you doing now and, you know, when you look back on it, what are your thoughts? So when I got out, um, so many great people helped me get my book published. My Life Story is a trilogy. And I also get my YouTube channel established. 
So now I use this big platform I've got to interview other people and help get their stories out. I've got a true crime podcast. We've interviewed hundreds of people now, and we've really been able to make a difference in people's lives. One guy, he was, he served 34 years in California prison for a crime he hadn't committed. Found out as a baby, he'd been sold. He was born on the Isle of Man and sold to a wealthy American family. So ended up deported back to London where he didn't know anybody. We took him out to the Isle of Man. He, he met people out there. They loved him. And it's helped turn his life around. But we've expanded from interviewing just ex-prisoners to victims of crime. I'm not making excuses for what I did either. I brought drugs into the country. I was a trafficker. And I deserved my punishment. And I, you know, I went through it. I did my time and tried to turn it into the educational opportunity of a lifetime. I do a lot of yoga and meditation. And I hope by using my platform now to raise awareness and to help people get their stories out, I'm restoring my own karma. Well, it's a fascinating story. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know anything about it and wants to go and look at your stuff, where can they find you? Yeah, so my YouTube channel is just under my name, Sean Atwood, S-H-A-U-N-A-T-T, Wood. And all my books are on Amazon. I've got 15 books out now. They're on Amazon worldwide. I'm sure it'll be an interesting read. But Sean, thanks a million for popping on uh, the show, Fair Play to you for, for turning your life around, obviously sharing uh, sharing your story and trying to dissuade people from going down that path. But it's been a pleasure. Thanks again for popping on FM 104. Oh, it's a great pleasure, guys. Thank you. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.